Hello everybody and welcome to our virtual Palmal. Um, tonight we're very happy as always to see our man in Burgundy, Jasper Morris, MW author of Inside Burgundy, who'll be taking a closer look at Chassin Morichet. Um, plus we'll be filming this for 67 Palmal TV that we're hoping to launch in April. So please do chat away on the side, share with us what you're drinking and where you're drinking it from and put your photos on social media with hashtag 67 from home. Um, uh, please ask questions as we go along. Please ask your questions in the chat box or the Q&A box. Um, and please do make sure that you set your chat box to panelists and attendees so everyone can see what you're saying. So um, a big welcome to Jasper. Hey, Jasper. Hello, Ronan. Can you hear me? Because we're doing the setup a little bit differently. Yeah, you look in a different setting. Have you moved house? Uh, well, not quite, but I'm in the next door part of the house. We have a little jeet attached and uh, we thought we'd leave Mrs. Morris in peace since I've, <laughs> I've, got, I've got Bertrand, the friendly film man here, because uh, okay. this is going to be for um, 67 Palmal TV as well as tonight's Zoom. Fantastic. Well, great. Um, uh, well, thank you very much. Lovely to see you as always, Jasper. I will let you carry on. Grand. Uh, I hope that I will make it through the next hour. Nearly froze to death earlier because uh, with Bertrand, we spent three hours actually out in the vineyards and it's below freezing today, even in the middle of the day. Uh, there was one little bit when we were just looking at some uh, rocks by the side and we noticed icicles uh, had formed on the rocks. Still, however, have a nice warm shower on returning and ready to go. So what I've done today is I have put together a uh, little arrangement of uh, six Chassin Maraché Premier Crews. I've chosen pretty much six of my favorite vineyards, not necessarily exactly the top six, because I wanted to look at different sectors of uh, Chassin Maraché. Um, and I've decided to uh, use six different producers. I think they're, yes, they're all growers who are actually within Chassain itself. Um, and uh, they're young vintages because we wanted top people. It wasn't going to be easy to get uh, much of a, of a back vintage uh, catalogue uh, to source the samples. So we're 2017 and 2018, but they're both vintages which show quite attractively quite young. So it shouldn't be too much of a difficulty uh, to get to understand what these wines are about. So um, we haven't always necessarily got absolutely the top wine from any given producer, because in order to do that, we would have, had, we would have ended up with the same vineyards. So our, our list of six, just have a look at my scoreboard down here in front of me. Um, we've got, um, well, maybe in fact, uh, Cecilia, maybe we could take a little look at the, uh, at the map and uh, then I can uh, draw a few lines around Chassin Maraché and show what's what. So I will, uh, excuse me, well, I, I will lean over to the side a little bit in order that I can uh, organize the map. This should just be the only time I will have to do this. Um, so you should have showing in front of you one nice big screen of the vineyards of Chassin Maraché. And you will see in the green color, all the Premier Crews, the little bit of gold over on the right of the screen are the Grand Crews, Creo Batar, Maraschais, Italian Chassin, and then half of Batar and half of Maraschais. And then the other color, the sort of pale maroon, I suppose you could call it, mostly below the Premier Crews, a couple of vineyards above, uh, those are the village wines. Um, so the sectors we're going to look at First of all, you have uh, Morgeau, which is uh, not just the vineyards, which are called Morgeau, but it starts above the main road. This is going to be a little bit, uh, my hands are still cold, but it comes down. That's a very bad line, but sorry. However, that is uh, the general Morgeau sector. So you are on pretty much on flat land here nearly flat, you, you're pretty clay rich, and the wines tend to be uh, quite full-bodied, long-lasting. If they're reds, they're the more tannic reds of Chassin. If they're whites, they're uh, quite, they're less aromatic, more full-bodied uh, when they're young, but they can make really great bottles when they're older. So uh, second sector uh, to look at is over here, not actually adjacent to the um, 
Grand Cru's, but over in the northern section, where you've got vineyards such as Les Chaumets, Chenevot, Verger, uh, Macherel. So they are, tend to be names which suggest the kitchen garden a little bit. Uh, well, Chenevot would be little bits of hemp. Uh, Macherel would be uh, salads. Um, Chaume or for Chaume uh, would be um, a, uh, a wheat field probably or a version thereof. And what's Salivas Verge, which means an orchard. So this is a fertile area. It's um, slightly downsloped is the uh, gap in the hills through which the old uh, RN6 uh, comes down from Saint-Aubin uh, towards, eventually goes on to the um, small town of Chenny. So uh, that's where these vineyards lie. They actually aren't bad for red, but almost nobody's still got any red, and they're pretty good for whites. Uh, third small sector, we'll probably, I think we're taking it last in the tasting, but it's up in the same area, are four vineyards, which are close by the Grand Cru's. So the one we've actually got is down here is Vide Bourse. Uh, there's also a Blanchot. I think I'm maybe going to switch to uh, switch to my star system, um, my heart system rather, um, because that's easier to do. There's Vide Bourse. Uh, there is Blanchot dessus. Now, dessus, I should say rather. There's a tiny bit of Dent de Chien. And then there is En Remy, same name as the Saint Aubin vineyard. So those are uh, a four very small Premier Cru vineyards, each with a separate individual character, uh, pretty much adjacent to the Grand Cru's. And then finally, uh, we have the whole sector up towards the top of the map. Um, so it starts over here with, uh, abo it's above this line, it's Les Baudines uh, and Les Embrasées, pretty good. Uh, Tête de Clos, um, which is strictly speaking in Morgeau, but I think I'll be separate, is very good. Above that you'll see something called Bois de Chassagne, but it's never sold as that, uh, typically sold as Grand Montagne. Uh, La Romanée, a Grand Vuchot, Environdeau is that little separate bit higher up, and then Caire. And this is the area which is clearly a white wine area. And I think um, probably that's where it's between that and the vineyards right by the Grand Cruz for the very best of the whites of Chassagne Maraschet. So we're going to start with uh, four 2017s and then we've got a couple of uh, 2018s. The way it panned out, question of what we could find in the marketplace. But as I mentioned earlier, because these wines are so sought after, there wasn't a lot of stock around. So um, maybe we will we'll leave that map up uh, for, a, for a little bit, um, or we can at least bring it back when we need it. Um, but let me introduce our first wine, which is Chassin Maraschet, Premier Cru, La Boudriotte. Uh, hmm, that's interesting. The label on my sample bottle, but clearly not the wine in it, uh, says La Boudriotte Rouge. Um, now, Ramenet does make both a red and a white from Boudriot. He's got just over a hectare of each of them. But the red he calls Claude la Boudriot, and is in fact in Boudriot. And uh, the white is just um, uh, la Boudriot, and in fact isn't in the subsection called Boudriot. If we could have the map back again for a second, Cecilia, apologies. I let you take it away too early. Um, because we're in the, the bigger sector called Morgeau. We're within a subsection of Morgeau, which is called Boudriot. But within Boudriot, there are further names to play with. Uh, we haven't got the obvious. The map is coming. Great. Thank you. And so, to annotate it. So, I showed you early on uh, where all the of uh, Morgeau was. So, it was this line here. As far as Ferrand, and then down there, I won't do the whole rectangle, but it's uh, the green bit inside that. But if you are Ferrand, La Roquemore, La Boudriotte, Les Chaumes, and Chant uh, Gendreau, so that bit on the right hand side, you could call any of that Boudriotte if you wanted to. And uh, Ramenet, in fact, uh, having got his, his red. Uh, let me show you exactly where. The red is within La Boudriotte itself, and the white is a little bit higher up the slope, so a little bit more suitable uh, for white. Um, and uh, in his case, 
Uh, his comes from Le Ferrand. There we are. Oops, the heart's disappeared, it's come back. Great, we'll kill those off. So um, when I were a lad and growing up in, in, in wine world and tasting with this little group of us that used to meet quite regularly, and uh, at least one of these groups, which included um, uh, uh, the wonderful Harry Wall uh, and his friend Bruce Templeton, who ran his wine business for him, me and one or two others, um, we would meet quite regularly and look at the white, top white burgundies, or at least top premier crews, more than Grand Crus, from the 78 and 79 vintages. And uh, we would often have a La Femme wine, we'd have a La Flaive wine, we'd have a Sose wine, occasionally had as a ringer the Chateau de Fuisse, um, and we would have Ramenet. And the amazing thing, and we, we, we'd serve these wines blind and play with them, and it didn't take us very long to work out blind, which was which after we did similar tastings uh, on several occasions. Because the Ramenet wine always had the same characteristic, which was that it tasted of almost nothing to begin with. It was ugly. There was this odd mentholated aspect to the bouquet. Uh, and clearly it was the least good wine of the lot. And after the wine's been in the glasses for an hour, it was the best of the lot. So it was a pretty rugged, old fashioned sort of winemaking. Um, so the late 70s would still have been the time of the great uh, Pierre Ramonet. The domain went through a little bit of a dip with his son André. Uh, then came Noel, um, uh, making some great wines, but um, Noel is, is um, we'll say, a complicated character. And after a while, a production has moved across to his, uh, his brother, uh, Jean-Claude. And I think the next generation also involved. But effectively, it's Jean-Claude uh, Ramonet these days. So uh, let's taste it. I've, I've got a, I've chosen to have some of the universal glasses and some of the red wine glasses because I think that with fine uh, white burgundy when the wines are young that it's quite interesting to uh, use the bigger glasses to aerate them. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna alternate basically between these two glasses. So um, I'm going to try and follow you as much as I can on the chat. Do keep chatting, particularly let us know if you've got the wines yourselves. Um, but I gather that they were, um, there must have been a good demand because I believe they sold out relatively quickly. Hmm. Well, this time compared to the, the grandfather's generation, the bouquet is quite a lot more uh, evident from the first or nearly first moment. I didn't put my nose in as soon as I poured it. And we haven't got any of that mentholated uh, aspect, which I believe was some sort of finding treatment. That's what uh, another grower told me um, that uh, was used by Ramonet and also by Francois Jobar. So this is, um, it's still, um, uh, it's a, well, it's, I say still, it's a very young wine, of course, but it's a nice pale, pale lemon uh, color we've got here with a fine and elegant nose. So it's not screaming Morjo to me. Um, the wines which are labeled as Morjo, I expect to have um, greater uh, weight, greater body, less elegance. Uh, sometimes they have more of the uh, oak showing in them. They have uh, rich, heavy white fruit. But once you get to Farand or next door to that Petit Clos, broadly speaking, uh, any of the um, parts of Morgeau which are above the Route des Grands Cru that runs through. So uh, certainly if you get to Tête du Clos, then I think even though that's officially Morgeau, you're in a quite different character. But Farand and, and Petit Clos uh, are, are only partially Morgeau, shall we say. Frankly, if I had vineyards there, those are the names that uh, I would be using. As I say, this Boudriot, which is sort of uh, a little bit also in between the two, halfway between, uh, normally Boudriot would be between Farand and a really classic Morgeau. In this case, it's actually a Farand. Hmm. Fortunately, I saved our lives when out filming in the vineyards earlier today by taking a flask of a uh, a decent oolong tea with us to uh, to keep warm. 
because otherwise we would have been completely petrified. So um, there is a striking elegance to this wine, and that's obviously what we want from our really top names. And as I mentioned at the outset, Ramonet was the classic name for Chassin Maraschet. Uh, you also, of course, have the Marquis de la Guiche wines made by Drouin, though back in uh, 20 plus years ago, they were just labeled as Village Chassin. Then they were called Chassin Premier Cru, and only, I'm going to say about 10, 12, maximum 15 years ago, did they um, specify them as, as Morgeau. But they, they were the classics. Um, you also then, of course, have the, uh, the happy families, um, and we'll play around with those later on. So you've got the the Collins, the Murrays, the Gagnards, the Coffinets, the P.O. families, uh, there will be one or two others uh, who seem to be allowed to play as well. But those four or five families really constitute the backbone of uh, Chassin Maraschet wine production. So uh, there's not too much um, uh, oak employed here. It's about one third uh, new oak typically. Um, it's, it's relatively um, classically made. They don't uh, try and make a wine that's too pure. They haven't gone in the uber mineral stroke, um, uh, sort of the gumflint reduction style at all. Um, this is, it's it's cleaner and purer than the old time Ramones, but nonetheless, these are wines of substance which I think are capable of aging. So, if any of you have got these, then do please, uh, you know, add your your comments, and I'll endeavour to keep in touch with that as we go along. Right, um, any any thoughts? Otherwise we shall allow myself a second sip. And then I shall park our first wine of the day, come back to that later. Incidentally, um, I understand that I should be fed some, we should be fed some roast chicken later on and I pulled out a bottle of the Claude La, La Boutriot, 2007 red um, Chassin from Remenet to go with that. Right, on we go. Pick my next glass. So I haven't said anything much about 2017. I know that uh, most of you will be, uh, and it's a good crowd tonight, I've just seen on the scoreboard. Thank you for coming. Um, most of you will be familiar Burgundy Zoomsters. Uh, and you'll be fairly familiar with the vintages. Just to say that 2017 for me is, is growing in my appreciation. It's a vintage which has the benefit of uh, having a reasonably wide window in which you could choose your picking dates. So not many people got caught out. It was clearly less hot a vintage than 18, 19, 20, uh, though still, um, uh, I mean, it felt at the time a pretty warm sunny year but we didn't have the real uh, heat spikes. It was a, a, a normal growing season. Uh, it was a, a, the huge crop which came after the problems of 2016 was actually more in the reds and white burgundy. The weather hadn't been quite so good at the flowering time for the whites, so they don't flower at exactly the same moment as the reds. The white crops are correct, decent, uh, sometimes even you know up to a full crop, uh, but not extravagant. People weren't having to uh, pull out extra receptacles, find some further tanks in order to um, have space for all their juice. So 18 was the huge white crop and a biggish red one, and 17 was the other way around. So I have poured into glass number two, um, Domaine, let's find my glass, uh, Bernard Moreau, Ephis. Uh, um, so this wine would have been made by, uh, the actual making would have been Alex Alexandre Moreau, uh, associated with his brother Benoit, uh, who's more in the vineyards. Um, uh, but those two have taken over quite a while now uh, from their father, Bernard, and it was his father who really uh, set the domain up before that. This is one of my really favorite go-to uh, domains because I think the winemaking is incredibly astute. It's very reflective. It's not flashy. Uh, this is somebody who stops and thinks. Um, he never likes me to taste early in the autumn tasting season. Wants to wait to, uh, as close as possible to Christmas, really, so that the wines are properly settled down. 
so that they not only have they been racked from barrel into tank, but also uh, they've had a chance to settle for a month or more in the tank before we taste them. Um, so they have quite a few of the uh, different uh, Premier Cru's, um, including a bit of Caire, a bit of uh, Ruchot, which is uh, many people think is a, a top name. Uh, but I've chosen them to illustrate the uh, northern area of chassin Maraschais, in this case with the vineyard Verger. So I will have a little taste of the wine. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just reading some of your uh, chat notices. There's uh, a few cats have been uh, appearing uh, on as the American lawyer, but also uh, I quite agree with Alistair. I wasn't totally expecting this, but there is uh, really a lot of orange blossom in this wine. Now I did taste this. Um, it didn't taste the Ramonet out of barrel or, 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 or tank, but I did taste the uh, Moro wine. So I'm just looking at my note. Uh, and I liked it at that moment. It was, uh, there was a little bit of um, uh, sort of a biscuit, biscuit barrel uh, from, from the barrel which in fact has faded into the wine now and I don't really see it. Um, I said it'd be beautifully nourished by its knees, uh, knees by its lees. Uh, I didn't pick up at that point on this more exotic orange blossom character, which is uh, in the wine now. Um, Alex told me that this particular wine was a very slow wine to ferment. It kept going steadily through to June. So from October, September, October through to June took all that long to do its fermentation. And I felt it'd been very well nourished, as I said, by its leaves, which gave it an excellent um, texture on the palate. Mm. Striking acidity too. If anything, and the 14s, and there's a parallel between two vintages, but the 2014s did this as well. They both seem to me to have developed more acidity in bottle than when we originally saw them out of cask or, or tank. And that's no bad thing at all. Um, this won't have been added acidity. Um, it wasn't necessary in those vintages. And most of the top people try and avoid doing it in, in any year. Uh, but it wouldn't have been necessary in 14 or 17. Um, and um, so the acidity is quite striking, but it's quite natural. Um, a lime note as well, so it's fresher on the palate than the slightly exotic orange blossom suggested. Um, <laughs> enjoying your comments as ever. Do, don't let just a couple of people dominate the chat. Uh, if you haven't used it before, have a look at the bottom of your screen, find the chat uh, icon and have a look on that and, and then do feel brave and, and join in the commentary. Good. So um, one thing I would say about this area, I, I've had a good um, conversations with one or two other sort of Burgundy importer experts. Um, and some people, I personally in this area, really like Chaumet. And my friend Roy never much liked Chaumet, but always really liked Chenevelt. Uh, and I know several people have got both vineyards. And after a while, whether you prefer for Macherel or Verger or Chaumet or Chenevelt, I realized it was a question of whoever your pet grower was, um, then different people have got different ages of vines, maybe a slightly different location of their plot, uh, maybe uh, different rootstock or, or, or different clonal or pre-clonal material. But the reason I like Chaumet so much was that the Chaumet Clos de la Truffière from Michel Nielon was clearly his best premier crew. Uh, whereas um, uh, my friend was working more with Philippe Collin, whose Chaumet is usually less interesting than his Chenevelt, for example. Uh, and, and so it goes on. And Jean-Marc Moray had, had a very good Chenevelt, which is now with um, his, his daughter and son-in-law, um, and probably somebody's son too. Uh, so it really does depend on, on who you're talking to. Um, if you, if Jean-Marc Pio is your man, then you'll probably go with Verger because of his uh, uh, close Amar in that uh, in within Verge. Voila. Okay, so check to see that we're all we're all happy. Good. 
Um, what should we do next? Uh, those of you who like to have a check on the alcohol levels, I'm not expecting anything to be dramatic. Um, so far we've got a, this is how they're labeled on the bottle, which may or may not be completely honest, uh, or accurate, I should say, rather than honest. Uh, both of the first two are 13 and a half. Uh, and our third wine is going to be the Vide Bourse from Thomas Moret. And that's labeled at 13. Should have got, if not my ducks in order, at least my wines in order before we started. Now, Thomas Moret, he is grandson of Albert Moret and works from uh, the old buildings which Albert Moret had. Albert's son Bernard moved to uh, a different building further down the slope, just outside the village itself. Uh, and so after, after him came uh, the two sons, Thomas and his grandfather's house, and uh, Vincent, who took over uh, on, uh, in Bernard's cellars. Um, so that's that line of the Moray family. Uh, then there is the Marc Moray side um, and the Jean-Marc Moray, which as I say has come down to, uh, for example, Caroline as the next generation. So I think there are probably seven or eight or nine different uh, Moray domains um, in Chassagne, plus one that escaped um, in the time of the French Revolution to Mercer. It's now the main Pierre Moray. Sorry, I need to kill off the previous one. And open up my Thomas Moret. So you could not have two more different wine styles than Thomas Moret and Vincent Moret. Physically, they look quite different. Uh, uh, Vincent is very much the same build as his um, father and makes wines in a reasonably similar style, but they tend to be um, quite plump, quite generous, immediately attractive. Uh, you know, wines you could roll up your shirt sleeves. Uh, Put your elbows on the table and settle in to some seriously good Chassagne Caire or Ombrasé, as his classic vineyard. Um, Thomas Moret is a slightly more introverted character, I would say. Uh, his wines are leaner and more austere in style. Uh, and for me, austere is a positive word rather than a pejorative one. Um, it's no surprise that Thomas sells more of his wine to markets such as Japan, Scandinavia and Germany, um, which are markets which traditionally really like those styles of wines. Uh, less to the UK, though I think uh, we're seeing the wines there a little bit more and a bit less to the States, uh, I think. I don't know the breakdown and uh, not my business to know where every bottle of wine goes to, but it's an illustration of what he's trying to do. Uh, actually, it's a domain where I quite like to taste the reds as well, because they're, they're quite smart, again, in a, in a pure and refined and not very tannic uh, way. So, um, it, words just sort of come unbidden into one's minds, but I'm always chiseled as typically a descriptor that's going to appear when we're talking about a Thomas Moray wine. And Vide Bourse, so uh, you've got a map in front of you, I won't get out my little pointers, but if you look at the Grand Cru's in orange, and you look immediately below the Batam Moranche, you see this little bit called Vide Bourse. Everything else around it, uh, including uh, vineyards touching the Grand Cru's, is village. Um, but Vide Bourse is just very slightly higher from Vide Bourse. You're only going to drop down a few feet uh, to get to Enseignier or one of the others. Uh, but uh, there is just enough additional elevation here, and in particular, I suspect there's probably going to be a fault line between this and the lower vineyards, um, but the um, rock is quite close to the surface here, and there are plenty of stones in the vineyard. There are, uh, Thomas says there are more stones in Vite Bourse than there are in his Batar, and his Batar is on the um, uh, Chassagne side, and then you get more stones in the Chassagne side of Batar Moraché than you do if you move over into the Pyrenees side. Uh, so. Uh, we like stones in our white wines, at least I do. Little bit of the gunflint reduction. Maybe now it's been around for a couple of years. It's almost becoming a little hint vegetable, but not in a nasty way at all. Um, <laughs> okay, so, right, yeah, yeah, well, we're getting uh, um, 
yeah, we're getting some uh, interesting uh, comments from uh, some of you on the on the chat. Keep them coming. Um, tiny bit more yellow, yellow and green together, but uh, uh, still fresh and light in the in the color scheme. Uh, I mean, I don't think we're going to see a wide difference in any of the colors of these wines. Not enough to uh, remark on. So, when I first met Thomas, the wines didn't get much more than the first year um, before they opened in bottle. Now they get the second winter. They're taken out of cask uh, after uh, the first year, uh, most of them at any rate, and there's not much new oak used. So if it's a very small cuvee, uh, then there will be perhaps no new oak, it'll be one-year-old oak. And there's never more than a maximum of 15%, which means that he needs at least six barrels uh, before he's going to put any new oak in at all. And he doesn't have much of this. He has, uh, translating, four and a half ouvres, um, so uh, 0.19 if you want to know in hectares, which I would think is going to give him in a, in a typical year, three barrels, maybe four barrels in, uh, in 2017 maximum, but probably three barrels. Um, incidentally, vineyard land is ludicrously expensive in Burgundy. Um, I haven't actually had a constant um, <clears throat> conversation recently on what a premier crew would cost. Uh, but uh, if any of you are in the building industry and know what land is, is worth, uh, Grand Crus, not even necessarily the, the toppest of Grand Crus, I've heard figures being quoted in excess of 2 million euros per ouvre, which means 50 million a hectare or 20 million for an acre if you're, if you're English. Um, and you know, at that point, you might as well start tearing the houses down and building, <laughs> building vineyards in, instead, growing vineyards. Um, it's, the danger of this is then afterwards, what you have to do in order to get your money back in your um, uh, bottles of wine if you really want to amortize your purchase cost in, in a sensible uh, span of time, then I mean, you're gonna be several hundred euros a bottle before you even start thinking about the wine itself. And equally, if land prices go like this, and you're a lucky person whose grandfather bought some, um, then um, you should be fine, except you're going to have to pay death duties, inheritance taxes, and at that moment it, it all gets a bit tricky. Uh, so we were talking earlier this afternoon to Thierry Pio, and uh, uh, his grandfather, I think it was, could have bought a bit of Morachet for really not very much money at all, uh, for about the price of a case of the wine now, and he decided no, couldn't afford it. In any case, he just bought the vineyards in La Romane, which we're going to taste later on, um, for no money at all in modern terms, but even so, uh, at the time, it felt like you know, we just made a big expenditure and we're not going to go further. So um, that's three different styles. Um, I'm interested in thinking in my own mind in this last wine, how much is that a Thomas Moray wine? How much is it a Vide Bourse? When you're in the cellar with him and you're tasting through the various wines, you feel an extra weight and dimension in the Vide Bourse. If you're tasting a Thomas Mare wine after other people's wines, then you might feel that this is a little bit more in the fine-boned, uh, high-toned uh, style of Chassin, and so you might feel it's a little bit more of a Thomas Mare wine. I just see I'm getting some questions and answers, so I'll take a little look at that. Um, I've been asked to show the label of the first wine. I can't uh, because I only have these um, the small sample bottles. Um, so um, no, unfortunately I can't. Whether or not somebody at 67 has got it and couldn't put it on the chat, I don't know. But they may not have them with them. David, that is a great question. Can any Premier crew be used for either red or white, e.g. Morgeau? Yes, and it's a shame. Uh, 
I would that it hadn't happened that way. There was actually a move um, more recently, I think in the 70s or 80s, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was uh, René Lamy of Domaine Lamy PO, and maybe it was Bernard Murray. I've been told, and don't take that as gospel because I know it was René Lamy, but I'm not sure who the other one was. They put together uh, an idea which they proposed to the locals that certain vineyards should only be premier cru for one colour. In particular, they wanted to keep some vineyards as red. Um, and some people liked the idea, but it certainly didn't get a majority. And um, I was just actually checking through my notes because I'm coming up to the Chassain chapter and uh, redoing uh, my book. And back in 1976, um, a big proportion, I don't remember the exact figures, but a big proportion of Chassain Maréchal was still red. Uh, according to the Arlott and Field and the book on Burgundy. Um, by the time I did the first edition, I think I had statistics from five years up to 2007, and it had become more white than red, but only just. Uh, and nowadays, it's a clear 70-30 across the whole of the village as being uh, white wine. Uh, and for the Premier Cruise, it's 80-20 for white. But if I could have my way, I would insist that Clos Saint-Jean should remain as red, and parts of Morgeau should be red, um, and most of the others could be either. But the vineyards we're going to come to, like um, uh, La Romaine, from um, the section I drew you at the top of the map on the left-hand side, all that can be pretty much completely white. The only vineyards in Burgundy which did make a differentiation for Premier Cru status were uh, in 2000 in La Doire and in Pernambuco-Vergeles when they did make some brand new Premier Cruise, but specified which color you could have. Um, and Julian says, I presume that the vineyard between Les Rebichet, it's Rebichet, in fact, well, Rebichet, and Les Macherelles is Macherelles. Uh, I am gonna have to try to, um, I can't actually see on that screen well enough. Um, Well, Rebichet goes pretty much, Rebichet can be called Clos Saint-Jean, in fact, always is. Nobody um, offers it as uh, Rebichet. Uh, but then you go to Verger, to the right of Rebichet, and you go straight down to, to Macherel. Uh, yes, that is Macherel. Or maybe your question was, uh, you couldn't see the name clearly. And then Heiko has got a question on the differences in the wine in Saint-Maurichet, more defined. I'm having a few problems on my screen. Uh, hold on a second so I can try to see all that. No. Can't see all your questions at the moment. Now I can. Um, yes, so other differences in the wines which just I'm more defined by the style of the winemaker or more terroir driven. You're drinking a Buisson Charles. 2017 RME, it's quite rich in style, smoky, great length and lots of potential. Yeah, I mean, RME shouldn't be all that rich. Um, I think Buisson Charles, I might be doing, uh, I might be incorrect in this, but I believe that those um, grapes are purchased grapes rather than um, their own vineyard. So it might be a question of when somebody has picked. It's also true that when Buisson Charles uh, uh, choose the picking date, they like to pick later, and that might explain why that wine's a bit richer. Great. Okay. Time moves on. We should move on. Am I right in saying it is Pierre-Yves Colin Moray? I am right. So, so good is Pierre-Yves. He gets to have two of the famous uh, family names on the label. He is one and he married another. Uh, this wine and Thomas Mare's wines, they're both labelled at 13. So they're both labelled half a degree lower than the first two. But you know, it is a little bit dealer's choice. Uh, I don't guarantee that these things will work out exactly. But Pierre-Yves, I would probably characterise as a slightly earlier picker. He certainly doesn't want to be um, one of those who's getting too much richness in the wines. He's one of the poster boys for the reductive style, um, mineral, we call them. Saline has been the word this year. Strap match, gunflint, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
When I talk to him about it, he sort of says nowadays that he's not doing it deliberately. I suspect he probably was making a conscious effort in that direction early on, and maybe is backing off now. Um, the wines are made in a bigger format. They're all now 350 litre barrels. And then of course they get moved after the first year, they get moved to tank. And often it's in tank, uh, if you keep your wines on lease and tank, that you start to get these reductive characters. I think he's conscious of not wishing to exaggerate, stroke over exaggerate. He's absolutely sure he doesn't want to have anything resembling uh, premature oxidation. Uh, I don't think his wines have ever suffered uh, much from it. I'm not aware of one myself, uh, but you know, I'm never, can never guarantee that nobody would have had one. Um, he likes to bottle his wines with cork, but under wax capsules. Uh, so on that basis, uh, that the wax capsule is going to uh, help him out. So we are in his Caire, and uh, he is another of those who uh, who thinks that it's important for Caire to go up and down the slope. Mm. I've definitely got some of that reductive character, but it's not gone vegetal on us. It's still in a fresher format, and it's still at an element, a level, when I'm finding it very attractive. Wow, bang, racy in the extreme, diamond sharp. But it's not minerality at the expense of the fruit. There's an awful lot of fruit in this wine. Maybe the most of the four to date. Um, plenty of fruit. No, I mean, there's been good fruit in all of them, but, uh, uh, but it's really present in this wine, plus this, this, this marvelously racy finish. So, hmm. Yeah, that's getting some uh, uh, good comments, one or two of them. <laughs> Chancing their arm a little bit. Um, we've got a couple more questions as well, um, including one about the high acidity. Is it a sign it will last longer as for reds and will develop tertiaries? Uh, on the whole, yes. Uh, I mean, sure, you can have the acidity that's out of balance, that it is always going to affect the style of the wine and that it um, will be a wine that's out of balance, but typically good acidity when it's young. Neither of Burgundy's mate, or in fact, none of Burgundy's grape varieties, Aligotte uh, no more. So Aligotte, Chardonnay, Pinot, they're all totally comfortable with quite high acidity when, when young. And uh, certainly I'd rather have it. Now tonight, I don't know about you at home, but tonight, um, even though we're now later here in France, uh, I'm uh, drinking these wines, tasting them on their own. But of course, typically one would be having them with food and then the acidity will just sort of dive into the food. Um, so another question has come all the way from Riga. Yay. Um, okay, yes, a uh, uh, good friend from, um, from um, Riga. I went uh, as my last escape from uh, France before COVID in March last year, I went and did a, a super event in Riga and uh, hey guys, I hope we'll be able to go back and do them again in future. Um, but you want to know about the Don de Chien plots. So I mentioned that there is a bit of Chassin Premier Cru Don de Chien. There's also a bit of what would have been the Lierdi Don de Chien, which when they came to decide on what was going to be Morichet, uh, it got included in. Um, and yes, I think that is probably valid. Uh, ultimately, are you going to say, are you going to have a favorite part of Morichet? It's not that big a vineyard. Uh, maybe it's the classic east-facing slope, if I've really got to choose, but frankly, uh, it's more of a question of, of which producer. Uh, but I think it was not unreasonable to have included those bits of Dormachia into Morishi. Yeah. Um, PYCM, as we call him, has not let us down with that wine. Which I think you'll probably agree. And Caire, I mean, you just can't go wrong with Caire, whether it's Pudini Caire, Chassin Caire, Volnay Caire, the Little Stones, it says it all. Um, it's the name that people gave to some of their favorite um, vineyards. And I think I remain now, it's certainly true when I was younger and starting out, but I think it remains the case for me that the vineyards which excite me most are the best of the Premier Cruise, 
because these are the ones where you can really see clearly what's going on. Um, and they excite me uh, a lot. Whereas with the Grand Cru's, you've got to wait for maturity. They're richer and heavier. They don't always show so well so early. And though they will certainly be probably the, the single finest expressions further down the road. But give me a Pudigny Carré, Pudigny Pucelle, Marseille Genevrier, Perrier, uh, Chassagne Carré, Romanet, Ruchot, Vibos, uh, then, then I'm really happy. Bit early to start asking you all for Christmas presents, but uh, there are some ideas. Uh, somebody asked um, publication date for version two of book. And uh, it is, if I continue to do my homework the way I have been doing it, uh, it is going to come out in middle of September this year, English version. In the French language or Estonian or Japanese or Chinese, may have to wait a bit longer. longer. Right, okay, on we go. So we have, um, yes, two members of the PO family. Um, and we're going to do the Grand Montagne, first of all, of Lamy uh, Kaya. So um, I'll refer back to this when we look. I've got a little vineyard map, but I'm going to use that for the last one. Um, so Lamy Kaya is also, in a way, Lamy Pio. So um, René Lamy, uh, uh, family on the female side, is the Pio family. And we'll see that, in fact, in the in the vineyards for the next one. Um, and he has, I think I've got this right, uh, he has two daughters, uh, and both of whom are working in the family business with their husbands. Uh, one of them is married to Sebastien Kaya, uh, now Lenny Kaya, and uh, he has set up a small domain uh, with vineyards, first of all some vineyards, which he rented from a uh, a vigneron who'd retired and I think subsequently died and the widow said here yeah, I know you and I like you I'd like you to take on the vineyards and since then he's actually been given a couple of small vineyards from the family domain uh, include, <clears throat> including this one um, and he wants to try to make a wine which is not specifically old-fashioned but has old-fashioned virtues he wants to make a wine which will really last a long time and he doesn't actually care whether or not it's going to be a great wine when it's yet well now i rephrase that it's not that he doesn't care whether it'll be great when it's a young wine but he's not going to go out of his way to make it attractive to taste as a young wine the key is how it's going to last now i was actually up in the vineyards with uh, thierry pio uh, earlier and uh, we were looking at the la romane where those two domains have got vines side by side and Thierry has left a, a light a cover crop on his. And Sebastian has ploughed his vineyards deep. He's done what they call the butage on, in French, i.e. he has scooped out uh, the earth in the rows between the vines and he has uh, raised it up um, around the bottom of the vines, uh, which partly by going that a little bit deeper, you're trying to get rid of surface roots and partly maybe in older days when there could be really serious negative temperatures, maybe you're protecting the base of the vine as well. Um, fewer people do it now, uh, but Sebastian still does that. Then he's very old fashioned in the winemaking. I shouldn't use the word old fashioned because it's, it's going to give slightly the wrong image, but he's trying to pull out the best of what uh, older generations would have done. So the um, grapes are crushed before they are pressed um, and then he keeps the solids um, so he's ending up with a lot more matter from the primary grape material um, and that's going to make a less elegant wine when it's young but it's going to give the wines more body and more depth uh, and that's what he's aiming to do yes i pulled myself some that's good i've chosen to put it into the uh into the red uh, zalto burgundy glass because I think it's a wine that will probably benefit from that. And it's 2018 as well. We couldn't find the 2017 of these last two to, to, to follow on through. So it's giving a little bit less nose uh, and it's a little bit more um, an expression which is used and sometimes used uh, pejoratively, uh, but I don't think of it as a pejorative word at all, is phenolic. And, uh, 
I've got some of that is when you get the sort of the green and leafies, if you like. Um, it's also relatively, it's going to be a relatively fleshy wine, uh, but it's not there yet. Mm. Mm. Wow, our friend the acidity is, uh, is right back in there. Now, 2018 is a vintage that, it's not that it's misunderstood, but it could be misunderstood. We've established 14 and 17, and there's a feeling perhaps 20, but I won't pronounce on it this early. Uh, it could be the great white burgundy vintages. 18 and 19 are both very good as well. But 18, it was a huge crop. Uh, if you didn't pay attention, it was more than huge. It was, it was dangerously over the top of being. Uh, the careful guys, those who really look after their yields and if necessary will green harvest, made a between a normal and a full yield, uh, but didn't have to send things away from for distillation. Um, uh, this wine, and but people who made a high yield have actually made lovely wines. Uh, and I've said it a couple of times, I think the vintage was almost saved by the yield because it could have been too rich, too hot. Remember, this was an August crop, so people began picking in the last 10 days of August. Um, not quite as early as 2020, but nearly. Um, so uh, that's very much the style uh, uh, of the year of wines without so much concentration. But those of you who are tasting wines, there is no doubt about it. This wine has got immense concentration, almost, <laughs> almost the most of any so far. And I think that's a lot to do with the um, uh, the foulage, or the crushing of the grapes. So you get a little bit more skin. Uh, and the not settling, and then the the uh, more old-fashioned old elevage as well. So it spends, the first year uh, is in barrel. Again, there's not a lot of new wood used here, um, only when it's a big enough cuvee, and this one isn't. Um, and then it will go to, um, to, I believe it goes to tank for the second year, but it's kept on all its lees, and for a full second year rather than just a few months. So I will endeavour just to keep a note on uh, some of the questions. I hope we'll have uh, time for all of them. Um, uh, PYCM is not alone in his belief that wax caps seal the bottles better than other forms of cap. Uh, uh, most people do it. Um, uh, who, uh, who, um, sorry, most people would agree with it. Some people do it. For a long time, anybody selling into restaurants, the sommeliers really hate it because you spill wax onto the uh, white tablecloth and so on. Nowadays, there are much better forms of wax where you can actually put the corkscrew straight through the wax and it breaks off clean and it comes out on the corkscrew and so you don't have that problem. Um, but it's generally a good thing. Uh, Mark, your question on uh, climate change in chassin Maraschet. It's not one of the villages where it's really obvious. I'm just going to do this, this point quickly. Certain villages, there are little bits of Pyrene, bits of Volnay, one or two other places where it's marked to me. Um, I haven't seen it in a negative sense so far in Chassain. I have seen it in a positive sense in the vineyards down at the bottom in Morjo, which would have been a bit humid and a bit heavy before. Uh, now, I, I thought the 2019s were strikingly good in Morjo. Um, not that it made them any more elegant, but the fruit was just that bit more uh, uh, apparent along with the weight of the wine, but they didn't seem heavy and clumsy. They just seemed have uh, a level of depth. So at the moment, Chassin is doing all right with global warming. Um, okay, and then also a question on the, the current trends of stars with a whole bunch against crushing. So whole bunch is a phrase that we use a little bit more with the reds. It's true of the whites as well, of course, but uh, I would normally say direct pressing. You just shove everything straight into the press. A number of people do a little bit of crushing, but in all honesty, the crushing they're doing is in order to compress the grapes further down as they go into the top of the horizontal banner press so they can get more in. Uh, it's as simple as that. Um, but a, a real crush that uh, opens up the grapes and puts the juice in with the skins uh, before the pressing uh, is a bit more of a definite statement. Personally, I'm a fan. But it is true that it probably changes the potassium levels, gives you more potassium, 
which is going to raise your pH, uh, lower your acidity. So that's an element you've got to take into account. Now, I do get slightly different stories from everybody I talk to. Uh, so I'm, and we don't have a huge amount of time left, so I'm not going to go further into that for tonight, but it's an area that I am trying to look at uh, in, in greater detail. So thank you for that question. Good. Um, right. So um, what I'm doing, actually, because we've had so many uh, questions uh, on the q and I'm answering those. I'm not looking at the chat so much. Last question was from Mark, a uh, different Mark. What's my thoughts on decanting Premier Cru White Burgundy? And my answer to that is uh, I'm a huge fan of decanting White Burgundy, and I rarely remember to do it myself. And I curse, and I wish I did it more often. Definitely decant the old ones, which got a bit smelly, having been sitting in bottle for so long. Uh, and Chardonnay is a much more rugged grape than Pinot, so it's not going to fall apart. And that tends to be the reason that we hesitate about decanting Pinot Noir is because we think it's a little bit too fragile. That's not the case for Chardonnay, so I definitely decant an older one. No harm in decanting a young one. I can't see that you will ever, I'm thinking about this, once we're up in a Premier Cru top-end white burgundy level, I can't see anything that you would lose by decanting. Yeah, let's, let's put it that way. And so, certainly sometimes you'll gain. Tie a knot in my handkerchief and remember to do it all myself. Right, so keep this wine in your mind. Um, I seem to have got, should have decanted it, because I've got a bit of something in there. It might be a bit of... Final wine is Domaine Paul Pio. So we mean by that these days, Thierry, his son, Pio. La Romane. And when you, if you follow up later on and we see the um, 67 mile television version of this, um, we will be doing uh, a little visit with Thierry in the vineyard. And if we could just have that vineyard map, please, uh, Cecilia. Chop uh, that up on the screen. That would be good. Um, so there, here you can see um, good. Pretty much all the vineyards that you can see on the map are La Romane. Uh, so it actually it cuts off down this line here. Zoom, 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 down to the road, along the road. And we go, I think, all the way back up the side. I might have added a tiny bit too much, um, but that's broadly speaking it. Um, now, you can see along the top there, it's a terrace. There's a big drop down to the big block. The big block is um, Mori Coffinet. The four blocks along the top um, and the fifth one that's the, to the left of the red line, they belong alternately pretty much to Lemikaya, first on the right. Second block is, um, um, sorry, Paul Pio. Uh, third block is Lemikaya again. Fourth block is Paul Pio. And then the fifth block, which looks as though, uh, the wrong side of the red line, which looks as though it should still uh, be part of La Romane, is in fact Grande Montagne, but belongs to um, uh, Domaine Paul Pio. Uh, the rest of Grande Montagne, where Sebastian Lamy, as uh, Kaya's wine came from, is off the screen. It would in fact be uh, to the right of the right-hand part of Romane. And if you continued, uh, if you went slightly above our screen, uh, there is where you would hit his bit of Grand Montagne, and it's very similar to La Romane. Whereas the bit of, La, of Grand Montagne, which is on the left here, it, uh, the second bit that belongs to um, Paul Pio, have, have bits both left and right. And Thierry tells me that that bit is really quite different. It's a much whiter soil and much stonier. Um, but here we have um, La Romane, and there's no question about it when you talk to Thierry, a huge smile on his face. This is his wine. His favourite. Uh, it was planted by his grandfather uh, in, um, well, there are two blocks. One was planted in about 1960, um, the sort of middle block, and the one that's more to the right was planted in 1957, um, a great year, as I pointed out. Um, and that's what, uh, so it's the blend of the two uh, that we're looking at, at here. And this is the 2018, and I gave this one of my, my five star ratings, I must admit, uh, when we. Uh, tasted them out of uh, cask. I really, really love this. And it's a terrific wine for long aging. 
you've got a bouquet which has got a little bit of um, Pierre Reeves style of uh, reduction, but it's also got a powerful energy of fruit in there as well. Hmm. Bingo. I think it's a wine that's got, is a, it starts austere, but it finishes juicy. And there's loads of fruit. There's almost red fruit. There's almost red wine fruit in that wine, I find. Uh, a huge amount uh, waiting, waiting to join us. Mm. Yum, yum, yum. What can I say? Nothing's disappointed me tonight, and several of the wines uh, I've been really thrilled by. Um, I'm just looking to see if there's anything else. Um, there is a question about the red chassines, how they compare to more famous red villages like Volnay, Pomar, and Bone. The best of them I love. Um, I think most people would not get as much satisfaction out of them. Um, I think you need to wait quite a long time to get the best of them, uh, but a great Clos Saint-Jean uh, I think is, is, is really, really terrific. Um, good. So, yeah, uh, I'm just picking up on Rafi's comment in, 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 in the chat. They seem to be gaining weight and elegance, the 18s, and, and, uh, and yes, I would, uh, uh, I would agree with that. Uh, do we have any last questions? We've done our hour. Happy to stay with you for a little bit, but also I think we should, should probably uh, get the quiz up in, in, in a second. The quiz, the poll, uh, when you'll be invited to choose any two wines of uh, your top six. Uh, I'm allowed to vote as well. Um, so is Ronan, if he's still sitting backstage in uh, 67. Uh, I am uh, just here. <laughs> good, good, good. Any comment you want to say, uh, you want to make? Uh, uh, no, I, I absolutely agree with your decanting comments. Um, yeah, bringing it up from a cellar temperature to something a bit warmer and aerating it, two things that we would do as a sommelier. So I totally agree with that. Yeah. And, um, ah, David, that is a naughty question you've asked me. Do I prefer Chassin or Pudini? <laughs> I like Merced best, I suppose. Uh, and I would normally have said Pudini second best, but my allegiance is switching a little bit because I think there are so many good producers in Chassin. There is, it's not a brand new young generation. It's the generation of 1978 rather than 88, if you like, uh, but it's spreading widely. I keep meeting more producers um, in the village. Um, uh, oh, I don't know. I, I don't want to answer that because it's individual wines, individual winemakers. Um, and I've been down on Chassain because I think too many red wine villages of uh, vineyards have been switched over to white. But uh, apart from that, uh, I think there is just some beautiful wines. Could we have the answers, please? Cecilia, if you can uh, take that down and give us the answers. So we have some votes for Lemicaya and from Ramonet and for Thomas Moret. Uh, there's then a definite step up towards uh, Bernard Moreau Berger. Now, in my hierarchy, I think that is the uh, lower on the list in terms of the vineyard source. So I think that's a great result for the um, for Alex and the, and, uh, the Bernard Moreau team. Uh, then we have a near winner and a narrow winner. <laughs> so um, Paul Pio, um, Thierry Pio, has come very high indeed. He's got 60% of the votes. Um, and 63% uh, and narrow, probably by one vote, Pierre-Yves Um I'm afraid I will confess my vote for, for those two, while feeling sorry that I haven't been able to give love to, to several of the others. So terrific wines. Brilliant. Well, I will probably, if, there's, uh, uh, if we don't have any more uh, questions, I will probably leave, leave it there for tonight. Uh, I want to thank you again for really, really, it's a great audience. We've had special numbers tonight. Stay with us. Um, next week uh, on Thursday, I shall be doing Chevrichon-Bretin-Castier, just one vineyard, six producers. Uh, I hope to go out in the afternoon and do some filming in the vineyard beforehand. 
Uh, I hope to be able to get into real detail on that vineyard. So join us now and sign up early for the samples if you haven't already, because we did sell out of the Chassin samples a bit quickly. Uh, and then also the beginning of the week after, um, I think it's going to be on Tuesday the 23rd. Uh, it was originally billed as Monday the 21st, but I will be with um, the technical director at uh, Domaine Polso going through their wines. In fact, I think we're going to have six vintages of Claude La Roche Vierville. If you have to, you have to. But thank you for joining tonight. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, apart from getting so cold, I love being in the vineyards. And that's it for tonight. Fantastic, Jasper. Thank you very much, as always. We look forward to seeing you next week. Absolutely. Thank you, Ronan. And uh, thank you, Cecilia, behind the scenes.